For today I will be reading for you and preaching for you out of Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 19. Hear now the word of God. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the dent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good or to share what you have, for such sacrifices Are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder to remember. We thank you for this reminder of Jesus Christ in what he has accomplished, and what he is doing in his kingdom. Help us, Father, to draw near to him in this word, that through him that we may have the privilege to bear his reproach as we serve the king in this kingdom. In this time and place here on this earth, help us to be Christ in this world. Help us to see this with gratitude and humility and with thanksgiving. And Father, help us with the things that you have provided us to obey those that you have appointed in our lives to guide and teach us about Jesus, to hold on to his word in obedience as we are taught as disciples of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would do this by the power of your word and spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
You may be seated. Every Friday, I in the morning, I listen to The World and Everything in It. I know I've mentioned that podcast. I listen to it daily. It's a Christian news podcast. And uh, Friday is a kind of a fun day. There's two particular things that I look forward to in listening to in that particular episode. One, uh, there's John Stone Street, typically. Sometimes I'll have a different speaker in there, but it'll be called, it's called Cultural Friday. So they'll talk about certain things that are going on in the culture, and John will give his analysis of it, and he will respond. And it's his, usually his take is right on biblical and um, also very encouraging and um, it helps me shape my thinking about how to uh, interpret some of the news of the day, like Maharus was talking about. And um, a lot of times it's bad news that he's talking about in the culture, but because he is Christ-centered, it's very encouraging. The other thing that I like to listen to is, and I don't really like the, the particular reviewer's take most of the time, but there's a reviewer of different books and movies that are out, and that's a lot of fun. I usually... Um, like to have some insight about uh, what's coming ahead in movies. Um, sometimes he's given an analysis of the very popular films. And then sometimes he's introducing things that you may not hear about that do not have as much popular take. But well, some of the things that he's been talking about lately, and it's because of the movie industry being so full of sequels, he's saying that there is a burnout occurring in our society of just constantly using the same story and trying to recycle it over and over again. And so he'll often will give an um, indication of whether or not this particular new movie that's coming out, whether you have to go back and watch the 15 preceding movies first to be able to understand this one particular movie that's coming out. And then sometimes he'll say, yes, you probably will want to go back and watch this and this. And then sometimes he's like, you know, it's so separate from the overall story. It's not really that necessary. You'll probably still be entertained and enjoy it just as well. As I mentioned last week, when we get to chapter 13 of the book of Hebrews, based upon how it is written and based upon the fact that it's a little more direct and it's almost somewhat just direct instructions of how to do things, it's easy to begin to separate. And some people might say, you know what, that Hebrews chapter 13 kind of just stands alone. It's a, it's, a, it's a separate thing. You don't really need the first 12 chapters of the book of Hebrews to get what's being told here. Of course, we're supposed to love, to have brotherly love, uh, to be hospitable, and to go visit people who are in prison and who are being mistreated. It sounds like a list of instructions, and then even when we get to this particular point, we are to remember those who are our leaders. And so it sounds like just another instruction separated from the whole grand narrative of what's going on in the first 12 chapters. And I'm here to tell you, no. Just like I did last week, it is not a standalone chapter by itself. It is not just a list of instructions. And I have to admit that in my experience as being an elder in multiple sessions throughout the past so many, I don't know how many years now is it? It's about 20, almost 27 years. It's been a long time that I've been an elder in different churches that will often go to Hebrews chapter 13 to remind ourselves and to remind other people just point blank that, you know, these people in our church, they need to obey us and submit to us. And that's not the, the approach to take. Now, I'm not saying that it is not necessarily a place to go to be reminded that we are to obey and submit to our leaders, but it is not the point. 
And so as you can see in today's uh, title that it's going to be talking about Jesus's under shepherds. And I thought about that title is because I want it to be very clear that the center point that is here is Jesus. It is not the under shepherds. It's not highlighting the shepherd part of under shepherds. It's Jesus's under shepherds. It is very much pointing us to Jesus in this chapter. It is very much like the rest of the chapters that we see preceding this, that our focus is to be on Jesus. And that our response to what Jesus has accomplished and what he is doing is here laid out for us. This is the appropriate way to respond to the reality of the superiority of Jesus Christ. And so this is about the Jesus's under shepherds, but even more than that, it's a recap of anything of the reality of Jesus's reign over his kingdom. And you see this as you finish up chapter 12, that if I'll remind you once again, one of the highlight passages there or highlight verses in chapter 12 is verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and all. What we have here is a reminder in, in verse 28 that we have received, and therefore we should enter in with gratitude, that we are in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This is about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It is about the priest king. It is about his kingdom, not our kingdom. And it is about the appropriate response to that reality as citizens of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And then if we remember those three primary points that I've gone over and over again, that we are to be drawing near to Jesus in his work, in his victory, in his current reign, we are ultimately striving to enter his rest and nothing changes now. As we go here in chapter 13 of Hebrews, we are still being called to do the same thing, to be drawn near to Jesus Christ, to hold fast to our confession without wavering. This reminds me of Romans chapter 5. The first five verses of Romans chapter 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Our confession is that Jesus has accomplished this, that we have been justified by Jesus Christ, and now we have peace with God, we have access unto faith, and we have access to grace. That's the work that he has accomplished. And then the response to that is as, as we deal with suffering and as we deal with endurance, we have character that is built, we have hope that is built, that there is something being produced in us because of the work of Jesus Christ. It is still centering in him. And so everything that we see here is about Jesus. And that's why the first six verses of chapter 13, I highlighted last week that these are not just 
moral actions for us, but they are reminders for us that Jesus is our great big brother. Jesus is the hospitable stranger. Jesus is the mistreated prisoner. Jesus is the faithful husband. And Jesus is the benevolent beneficiary, benefactor of all things. So therefore, what can man do to us? What can anyone do to his kingdom when Jesus is reigning over it? And so therefore, this is all ultimately still pointing and praising Jesus Christ. It's a doxology, and as it is an imperative to us, it's for us to live in that doxology of thanksgiving to God by being a reflection of Jesus Christ. So as we get to this particular verse 7 in chapter 13, it's not changing it's nothing's changing here. It's still to be pointing to Jesus Christ. In fact, I was tempted to actually name this sermon a shepherd's sandwich, and it just sounded kind of silly. So I decided to be a little bit more refined by saying Jesus is under shepherds, but it's a bit of a shepherd's sandwich, not a shepherd's pie. Don't get it confused with shepherd's pie. It's a shepherd's sandwich, and since we're here on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we're thinking about food, and it even talks a little bit about food in here, um, and my job as a pastor is to feed the sheep. Yeah, I think it's an appropriate thing to be thinking about this in a, as a shepherd sandwich. And if you look at the structure here from 7 to 19, you see that it starts out talking about shepherds, talking about under shepherds. It's talking about leaders. And then it gets into some real meaty reality of what Jesus Christ's sacrifice did. And then it comes back talking about the under shepherds again. And so if you can see there, the shepherd sandwich, you have under shepherds, the shepherd, and then back to under shepherds, therefore making a shepherd sandwich. That's the structure there. And I think it's a good structure for us to be thinking about because there's something for us to remember in the past of what God has provided to us through under shepherds. And then there is this call to continue. And in the middle of that, what's powering all of that, what's the actual nourishment and the meat of all of that is Jesus. And so there in verse 7, the very first word, we could have stopped here, and today I could have preached a whole sermon just on this one word, remember. To remember. If you go and you look up, there's disputes in the scriptures about how many times the word remember is in the Bible. It's at least 352, and some accounts it says 1200 i don't know why the big spans i guess it's what they're applying to that's something similar to remember to to be reminded of something but to go back and to think so there's at least 352 times that we're told in scripture to remember and when we're in scripture typically when we're called to remember it is to be associated with thanksgiving to be thinking about what god has done as we are remembering something we are, like Psalm 107, like our call to worship says, we're giving thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. We are giving him his praise by remembering. And that is probably one of the biggest problems that we have as human beings is remembering. We like to forget. It's often that we forget. It's it's. A, it's human <laughs> to forget. Or, and, and as you get older, it gets harder <laughs> to remember things. 
Um, it seems like we've, we've saturated our brains and there's only so much. And so we have to be reminded over and over again to remember. And in this particular case, we are called to remember your leaders that spoke you the word. Now, what we're really being told here ultimately is to remember the word of God, the gift that came through the leaders. It's not lifting up the leaders. It's lifting up the work that they've done on behalf of what God has called them to do. And in this particular context, it's actually telling us to remember those that we just recently read about in Hebrews 11, that all of these people who have been the leaders of God's people, who pointed them through the word of God to the work of God that is ultimately to be accomplished in Jesus Christ. And so contextually, this is past tense leaders. It's the leaders that they've had that have been there. And they're to consider the outcome of the way of life. We go back and we look at the hall of faith and have, they were pointing to this sacrifice, pointing to this Messiah, pointing to this hope, and that their hope is resting in them and that, that they now are beginning to benefit from that in their death and that their life was resting in them. And so we're to consider the outcome the outcome was that the fulfillment of the promises did occur. Jesus did come. The sacrifice did occur. His resurrection from the dead did occur. And his reign is now occurring in the heavens with the Father. And so we're to consider the, the outcome, the fruit, the, the end to what they were putting their faith in. And we are called to imitate their faith. Now we can apply this to ourselves in a multitude of ways. We can put ourselves in the shoes of the Hebrews and we can also go back and we should go back and look at the hall of faith and look at all of the things that God did through the people of God and through the leaders that God provided and how they pointed out the word and the promises of God and then the outcome being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we should also imitate the very hope, remembering that the things that they had to endure, remembering the suffering that they had to endure by hoping in something that they could not yet see. That is something that we are also called to do as we make our hope Jesus Christ and our trust Jesus Christ. I say we make ourselves in a sense that, but I mean that it's been given to us in faith and we respond by continuing to hold on in hope and in trust of Jesus Christ. Just to deviate just for a moment here, a contrast to this, just so that we can look at the contrast. As we're thinking about leaders, and we're thinking about leaders that point us to Jesus through the word. And when we think about the fulfillment of those promises of God in Jesus Christ, I told the men in the, during our breakfast study yesterday that yesterday was the 45th anniversary of the massacre of Jonestown. In, uh, most, in 1978, hopefully most of you maybe have even forgotten about this or not even heard about this, but it was a pretty significant thing when it occurred. But there was a, um, a minister that was named Jim Jones. 
And he was a Pentecostal minister at one time. And then as he got more and more popular, he was more of a healing minister. And then he became more of a of civil rights and social minister. And he actually rejected the basics of Christianity and became more involved in the social gospel, I guess you could say, of, of uh, really socialism. Even as a young child, he was reading Um, Marx. He was studying about communism. He was infatuated with Stalin. And the more you hear about his, uh, even in his own own writings, he talked about how he was really infatuated with all of these, uh, even Mao in China. He was infatuated by this as a kid, and he was infatuated with death. Um, He would do really weird and morbid things. And the more you read about his childhood, you could probably see that he was maybe even demon-possessed in, in how he was living out his life. But he had this tremendous following. And I think his following became uh, the, the highest when he was doing these fake healings of people, which is not an uncommon thing that people do today. And so he is kind of the poster child for what a cult is because he had this really weird following that he, as he, he kind of gravitated away from Pentecostalism to more to just communism and socialism, he became more focused on how he was a deity. He would actually say in his services that he was God. And people believed him. And it's a really interesting study. A lot of people will are amazed that he actually had 3,000 followers and, and and then in November 18th in 1978, 900 some people died by suicide by following this guy. And you're thinking, how could, how could people be so misled? Well, we can see that a lot of people are misled. And we even see here in the scriptures, we're getting ready to hear in just a moment, where we've been told to do not to be led away by diverse and strange teachings that this was a leader, truly a leader. He had this charismatic capability that in the beginning he may have pointed some people to Jesus, but he began to eclipse Jesus for himself and then eventually just got rid of Jesus altogether. And he still had this tremendous power over people. And we see through this maybe extreme circumstances or extreme circumstance. That when this happens, it ultimately leads to death and emptiness. And then we begin to find out more and more that they're based upon lies. They're not based upon truth. But what we have here is the leaders that we are being called to remember is that those who spoke to you the word of God. And we are to consider their way of life and the outcome of it. That we are to look at what happened. We are to look in the past at the different leaders that, one, point us to God in his word, ultimately pointing us to Jesus Christ. And then we are also to look at their life and to consider their life. And so we have these extreme contrasts. And for us today, not only do we go back and we look at those that are in the context of the book of Hebrews, but we can look at the history of God's people in general. We, have a, we are so rich We are so rich with resources. One, we have all of God's word, which is an amazing thing. And that's not something that most of human history has had. Only really in the last, really, 500 years has it been accessible 
to the masses. And it's been since the Reformation when God's word began to be in the vernacular of the people. But even today, we are just overflowing with the ability to go into his word. But then we have so many people that have studied the word of God and that God has used to teach. And we are to remember those. Now, these are people that we may not even know. These are people who may have been dead centuries ago. But we're to even remember those because they have equipped us in an understanding of God's word. And they've been consistent in that. And the things that they have said have been typically consistent with what God's promises are. One of the things that Jim Jones promised was that Indianapolis was going to be destroyed by a nuclear missile soon. And it didn't happen. That's one way to tell that there's a false prophet. One is that if he's pointing to himself, then he's also making prophecies that do not occur. Well, what we have here in the scriptures is to remember our leaders that point us to God's word and to point us to Jesus. And we also can go and we can look at the fulfilling of those particular prophecies. Those are the distinctions between whether we are following a right leader or a wrong leader. Are they pointing you to Jesus Christ? Are they talking about some kind of special revelation that they have? Or are they pointing you to the revelation given in God's word? And there are a lot of ministers today, even evangelical ministers today, that will say, God told me this. And it's things that are not consistent with the scriptures. That would be a time that you would want to start stepping away <laughs> and walking into a different direction. I'm not saying that it's wrong to say that I feel that God has led me to do this. And over time, it seemed like God was making this path open for me. There's nothing wrong with those kind of conversations and we want to always make sure that those particular things are consistent with the scriptures but when you have a leader telling you God told me this and I'm telling you this with authority and it does not match with the word of God then it's time to turn away that is a sign of a true cult and then as you can see in this Again, it's a caricature of cults when you think about Jim Jones, but he had this power and authority so much that he was able to bring a lot of those people to a whole other country, set them up, and they were already at all kinds of signs of abuses and deception going on, and then there was tremendous murder that occurred. You want to have leaders that point you to Jesus Christ and that have a life that's consistent with that, and they also are those that we can with assurance, imitate in our faith. Because, not me, not other leaders, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So there's two things being taught in us in that one verse there is that our trust is not to be in one another, but everything that we are to, to think back with thanksgiving and what we've been taught should have pointed us to Jesus Christ. And he is the one who is the constant, but also how he nourishes his people is still through under shepherds. There are still things that he is doing today that he feeds and shepherds his people with. And we see this in multiple places in the scripture, and I'll get to some of those in, in just a moment. So we are to, again, put our fo focus on Jesus, and therefore, in verse 9, not to be led astray by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good that the heart be strengthened by grace, not by foods, 
which have not benefited those devoted to them. Now, the context that we have here, if you have to remember that the Hebrew Christians, they are tempted at times to go back to the old ways. And the writer to the Hebrews is encouraging them to go to the things that these things pointed to because they've now been revealed to you. That's the, the whole point of the first section, the first part of Hebrews is that Jesus was the thing that these things pointed to, not to go back to shadows. That There is no need to go back to shadows. And when you go back to shadows, these things are strange to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might have think that it's kind of weird that the writer to the Hebrew Christians would have actually used the things that God commanded them to do and is now calling them diverse and strange. Because now that Jesus Christ has come... They are diverse and strange. They are strange. They are estranged from what has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Now, kind of going off of still thinking about this cult mindset, there, in our country, we, we are, our country is like a cult. It's, we're so easily led astray by whatever comes on the news. And we will believe it's not just a leader, it's not just a politician, it's not just the media, but we are so hungry like sheep to eat whatever fodder is thrown in front of us. I mean, if you think about how it is, so how quickly we change our focus. You know, there's a war in the Middle East, then all of a sudden we're throwing up our our, our, our positions. If you're a super ultra-liberal, you're, you're anti-Israel, and then if you're somewhat conservative, you put up the, the Israel flag, and it's all about Israel all of a sudden. It's all about the Middle East, and it's just like that. You know, they've been fighting for centuries, <laughs> and all of a sudden, that's our focus. And we have very strong opinions about it, and we're always talking about, you know, pray for Israel. And, and we should pray for our countries that are our allies. But one of the things that I haven't heard about that I, when I look at social media as I haven't seen a lot of people praying for the salvation of the people who reside in the current country, Israel. These are heathens. These are people who do not trust in Jesus Christ. Just like the people across the border who they're fighting with do not trust in Jesus Christ. And so for the church, we shouldn't be just raising up the, you know, we, we take down the Ukrainian flag and now we're raising the flag of Israel and it's our main focus. And, and it's amazing how quickly the church, the church, I'm not just talking about the masses of Americans, but the church, how that becomes our primary focus. When ultimately our focus should be continual. It should not be changing by the things that we're told in the media. And so we shouldn't be led astray just by the next new thing that's out there. So we're not to be focused on shadows, and we're not to be focused on some kind of recycled idolatry. We need to be looking for the ways that we are so easily led astray. It's kind of like just walking through the kitchen for me. You know, I'm, on, trying to, I'm trying to be on this more faithful diet where I'm not heavy on carbs, and I'm not heavy on sugars and things like that. And, and I can walk through the kitchen, and man, it's been really rough in the last couple of days as all the girls have been making cookies and pies and all kinds of stuff ready for today's meal. And I'm walking through the kitchen, and I'm like, you know, I know what I need to be focused on, and it's like, oh, those cookies look so good. <laughs> if, I if they weren't so evenly laid out, I could steal one, and nobody would ever know. 
We're so easily led astray by things. We're, it's, it's that easy for us to not focus on the things that we're focused on. And that's why we are called to remember. To remember the leaders that spoke to us the word because we're to re- ultimately to be remembering the word and not to be led astray. We're to be remembering that we are to be strengthened by grace, by the grace that's been accomplished through Jesus Christ. And we've got to think about the word grace. It isn't something that's been given to an undeserving people. When we remember, we should be drawn to gratitude. When we remember grace, we should remember that we did not deserve the things that we have received. And we should remember that the gift of Jesus Christ and the power that he has over salvation has been granted to us. And so therefore, we are to be strengthened by that, not by going back to the strange and diverse things and seeking that to be the thing that would nourish us. Because that particular food, even for the Old Testament people of God, that wasn't the thing that ultimately benefited them. It was a shadow that was pointing to Jesus Christ. In verse 10 through 16, verses 10 through 16, I have to admit, is kind of a unique area. It, it, I've always wrestled with it. And I think I finally, after having this opportunity to prepare for preaching, I think I finally am kind of getting the gist because if you think about it, it's, it's really kind of different because it's, it's talking about Jesus' suffering outside of the camp. And we're, we're thinking about the temple again. We're thinking about the tabernacle. We're thinking about all of the, the worship of the Old Testament. And then we think about Jesus. And so I, I encourage you to kind of set your minds on this for a moment because ultimately what is being said here is, again, the repeat of everything that we see in the book of Hebrews. It's the reality of the victorious altar of Jesus Christ. That's what's being reminded of us. So when we're thinking about our leaders and how our leaders are pointing us to Jesus, now he's getting into the meat and he's reminding us what the leaders have been pointing us to, which is the reality of the victorious altar of Jesus Christ. And he's saying that those who served the temple in the past, they don't even have a right to this table. If they are continuing, even if they're presently continuing to go to the temple for their hope, they don't have a right to this particular table. That unless their hope is in Jesus Christ, they are unable to participate in this altar. That's why it's so important for us today, now that we've kind of had our attention drawn to the Middle East now, that we actually pray for those who are in Israel. Because if they are still hoping in shadows, based upon the reality that Jesus Christ has now come, they're hoping in idolatry. That's ultimately what the writer of the Hebrews is saying here. It's saying that these are diverse and strange from the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't have a right to this altar. The altar that was a shadow that they were hoping in at one time, they're continuing to hold on to the shadow when now the fulfillment has come. We have the reality of the victorious altar of Jesus Christ. And as we're thinking about Jesus Christ, we are called in this moment The whole time, this is something that is distinctive. The whole time you've heard me preach over and over again that we're thinking about Jesus sitting at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus making intercession for us. Where there's a little bit of an addition now in how we focus on Jesus. We are actually told here to be reminded that Jesus was the sacrifice 
that suffered outside of the camp, meaning away from the temple, that he bore a reproach outside of the camp. Well, what's the importance of that? Well, it's to remind us that the things that are defiled and unclean, they had to be taken outside of the camp. And when Jesus was crucified, he was taken outside of the camp. And the reason why he did that is because he came outside to cleanse the things that were unclean and defiled. So as our mind is set focused on Christ, where we think about the reality of what Jesus accomplished and what he's doing now beside the Heavenly Father, we are told here to put our mind now on Christ who was outside of the camp who was out amongst the defiled, who became the defiled, who became the unclean, so that he may be able to sanctify the people of God through his own blood there in verse 12. So we have our minds turned to the fact that Jesus died for the unclean, that he died for those who were defiled. And if our minds do not draw us to thanksgiving and gratitude then and humility, then we're not hearing it. Because we are those who are outside of the camp. We are those that he came to rescue. But then the interesting thing he says in verse 13, he says, therefore let us go to him, Jesus, outside of the camp, and bear the reproach that he endured. Now that's interesting. We've been the whole time being told to draw near to him, to remember that the, that the reality of our identity is now in the heavens with the Father, as he sits on the throne next to the Heavenly Father. That's where we are to draw our minds. But now he's telling us to go to Christ outside of the camp, and to bear the same reproach that he bore. See, we are to do both. We are to remember that our reality is with him in victory, but we are to remember that it's not yet done, and he is now calling us to be Christ outside of the camp and to bear that same reproach that he bore by being amongst the defiled, to remember that we are the defiled that's now identified in righteousness but as our work continues, we are to go outside of the camp and to bear his reproach. And so how do we do this? Well, we one, we remember that here we have no lasting city, verse 14. But we seek the city that is to come. We have to remember here that it is, our identity is with the Father. It is with Jesus as he is there making intercession with us and that our, the city of God has, has been established and is in the works and we are in the threshold. But as he now tells us to dwell with Christ and to go to Christ in the work that he's called us to do, we are seeing that we are not yet to put our full residence there, that we are to be these exiles here in this earth in proclaiming Jesus Christ by one, continually offering up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. 
So as we praise the Lord, we are praising him for his kingship, but we're also praising him for his authority, that he has authority over all things. He has authority over the heavens and he has authority over the earth. He has authority over all things. And so our praise to God, our sacrifice now is not another animal. It is not the temple. It is not Israel. It is not our works. It's not our employment. It's not our money. It's not our personalities on whatever social media. It is Jesus Christ. And therefore, our sacrifice now, our participation in that is to bring praise and honor to him and to acknowledge his power when we acknowledge his name. So that's one sacrifice is praise and thanksgiving. Our worship of him today, instead of an animal sacrifice, is thanksgiving and praise. And then it's also not to neglect to do good and to share what you have. These sacrifices please God. Now see, we can't provide a sacrifice for our sins. There's no longer a sacrifice for our sins because Jesus is that. So what is our sacrifice now? Well, in him and through him, our sacrifices are praise and thanksgiving and serving one another and living according to the things that he has called us to. To be dwelling in his word to be remembering his promises, to be proclaiming his word, to be discipling one another in his word. Charles Spurgeon has a quote when we think about having the word of Christ dwelling in us. It says, oh, to have the word of Christ always dwelling inside of us, in the memory never forgotten, in the heart always loved, in understanding really grasped with all powers and passions of the mind fully submitted to its control. I mean, he's in elation there of talking about how wonderful it would be to have the word of Christ just always dwelling inside of us based upon in our memory, never forgotten, that we're always remembering what his word has said. In the heart, we're always loving it, understanding it, really grasping it. And then with all the powers and passions of the mind fully submitted to its control, that we would have this, our control, that every part of our being, every part of our power and passion would be fully submitted to that. Now, in many respects, we're like, okay, let's, let's just keep digging in the Word. Let's keep reading. Let's keep doing this. And there's nothing wrong with that kind of, that kind of um, fervor. But we have to remember that even our reading the Word of God is not what is going to be what saves us. That the Word is pointing us to who? The power of Jesus Christ. The grace of Jesus Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit. He has another quote that I think is a really good side-by-side quote in this, and it starts out with O oh, also. It says, Oh, it is not my remembering God. It is God's remembering me, which is the ground of my safety. It is not my laying hold of his covenant, but his covenant laying hold on me. It is the power of Jesus Christ that saves, it is his grace that saves. And then our response to that is humility and gratitude and then fruitfulness. It's not our fruitfulness is what's obtaining our righteousness. And so we're to continually to offer up sacrifices of praise and service as a response to what Jesus Christ has done. So as we go from the meat and now back to another piece of the bread, 
When we think about Jesus as under shepherds, just as Jesus said that he is the same yesterday and today and tomorrow, he still provides under shepherds for us today. We know that there's different ways that he has, does his administration of authority in this day, in the here and now. We learn this in the epistles. We know that in Ephesians, that he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. What for? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So he gave us these particular offices and these particular people under shepherds to equip us to be ministering to other people. And so the constant work of what God is doing, that he is using his people to feed his people. And so therefore we are called to obey these leaders, to submit to them. Because God has given them authority, temporary authority, limited authority. Not like the authority that Jim Jones thought he had, but limited and temporary authority to feed and to disciple his people, to point his people to himself. And it says that we are to obey and to submit, not in ways that would cause them to groan. That's one of my favorite passages. (laughs) That we would do it in joy. And the reason why that we would, would be submitting to them so that they can have joy is because it's an advantage to us. It's a disadvantage to us to respond to the authority and the shepherding and the food of Jesus Christ in a way that would cause his under-shepherds to groan because they're trying to feed us. I mean, can you imagine that if we go over there after here in just a few minutes, go over to the community center and people are trying to, to set up food and you're tripping them up or you're knocking the food off the table and they're like, well, we're trying to get the food set up so that we can eat. And you just like, you do everything you can to make it difficult for them to get the food set up. It's like, well, what benefit is that? Because <laughs> they're trying to feed. Whoever's setting up the food is trying to feed us. That's what Jesus responded to Peter when Peter, when he asked Peter, do you love me? He says, feed my sheep. And so God has appointed a variety of different under shepherds. Now we see in Ephesians, we see in Ephesians chapter 4, we see the structure of those in the church. We see the apostles and we have the writings of the apostles. And then we have pastors, we have evangelists, and we have shepherds. We have all these different kinds of structures inside of the church where they're feeding us and different roles that different people are taking. And many of those are officers. But then we flip over to Ephesians chapter 5. What is in Ephesians chapter 5 talks about? Well, it talks about the marriage. It talks about husband and wife. And it uses words again like obey and to submit. So in the marriage, there is this structure of discipleship. And then you flip over to chapter 6. Children, what does chapter 6 tell God's people to do? In Ephesians. To obey your parents. Because they are also under shepherds to teach. Jennifer gets a lot more scripture into the minds of my children than I think I do. She has a tremendous role in shepherding the children in our home. I'm still the authority in my home. 
But she, I think, falls under the same category. We are to remember all of the different under-shepherds that God has appointed because all of these under-shepherds are doing what? They're pointing us to Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, we should be thankful that we have people in our lives that are causing us to draw near to Jesus Christ. Then lastly, it says here in verse 18, and I think it's contextual to this particular circumstance, but I also think it's contextual to our calling as an imperative for us. Not only are we to obey our leaders and to submit to them, we're also to pray for them. To pray for them. Here, the writer to the Hebrews saying that we're sure we have a clear conscience, but pray for us because we desire to act honorably in all things. Whenever shepherds, under shepherds, get tripped up, it causes a big mess. It causes confusion, and it can also even cause some people to falter to the point of unbelief. We are called to be praying for those who are our leaders. There's so many different jurisdictions that God has provided to shepherd and to feed us, even encouraging us when we think about the bond servant and servant, the master and bond servant relationship there in Ephesians chapter six as well. That God has given people to be disciples in us, even in our particular work that we do. We are to pray for these leaders. We are also, as we go to Romans 13, know that God has given us ministers in government that's supposed to be bringing fear upon wickedness. We are to pray for all of these different jurisdictions of leadership that God has given us because all of these jurisdictions of leadership are to be pointing us to Jesus Christ. And when they falter, they do a lie or say a lie about the authority in the name of Jesus Christ. So are you praying for your leaders? I have to tell you that when I hear anyone in the church, and I've had the blessing of hearing that just in the last few days, being told that I, I pray for you every Wednesday and Saturday. I think that was our To know that one of the members of the church has a schedule of praying for me. And Saturday is the day to do it for sure. <laughs> and definitely Wednesday is helpful because by the time I get to the middle of the week, it's rough. Most of my family does not like me on Saturday at the end of the night. <laughs> I am just worn out and stressed out. But pray for all of your leaders. Pray, wives, for your husbands. For your husband. Wives, pray for your husband. <laughs> Children, pray for your parents. Employees, pray for your employers. Even if they're unbelievers. Because they all are ultimately still representing, they're still all under the authority of Jesus Christ. And definitely be praying for our governing officials, both local and state and national and international. Because all of these things are under the authority of Jesus Christ. Pray that their lives will be honorable in all things. And then lastly, it says, I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Whenever we pray like this, here it's a, it's a very simple encouragement to particular people for particular 
restoration and being together. But we want to have that good and workable and fruitful relationship with our leaders. Because when they are doing things honorably and when they're pointing us to Jesus Christ, it is a benefit to us. It is a blessing to us. We are to be thankful for those leaders that do this kind of work. And I'm just going to simply close by the reading of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. This is Paul writing to Timothy. But I really think it embodies all that we see here. And I think it puts us in the right mindset as we think about remembering and being thankful for how Christ administers his power over us today. He says, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, nor sh- but, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day which has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending us a shepherd. Sending us a shepherd that died for the sheep. And Father, we thank you that that shepherd now reigns as a priest king on the throne next to you. And says that it would be better that he be there and that the Holy Spirit reside with us. Father, we thank you that you have sent your Holy Spirit to be among your people and that you have appointed a variety of leaders in our lives to be under shepherds of the shepherd and to teach us your word 
to administer your word, to practice it, and to nourish us into your kingdom. We thank you, Father, for these things, and we pray that you would continue to increase your kingdom by this work that you're doing in and through us that is ultimately the work that is in and through Jesus Christ. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us stand and let us praise the Lord for all the things that he has given.